Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Nice to be with. Nice to be together again after a long week on God's holy Sabbath day. We are the 24th day of the second month which we like to remind everyone. We're at the end of the fifth week of the seven-week Omer count, so a couple of more weeks until the Feast of Pentecost. In light of that, I have a, quite a bit to get through here today, and I'm not sure how long I'm going to be, so let's turn to Acts chapter 2 to start as we focus on the upcoming Feast of Pentecost. In verse 1, we've probably read several dozen times or, or more over the course of your, your knowledge and reading of the Bible. But it simply sets the, the stage, the, the uh, background of where the God's people were at this point in time. And it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And as we come upon the Feast of Pentecost, we often gloss over this first verse so that we can get into the meat of the message throughout the rest of chapter 2 at the Feast of Pentecost. But there's a particular phrase here that I would like to focus on today as we, our young congregation here in Burlington, continues to settle in and develop our own sense of purpose, meaning, and camaraderie. And that is the phrase, in one accord. It is the, from the Strong's, it is the Greek number 3661 and it is the word homothumadon homothumadon and it's used 10 to 12 10 it's used 12 times in the new testament 10 of those times it is used in the book of acts and it's a compound word homo and thumadon combining the greek words for to rush along and in unison and i bring that up because according to strongs it is used to describe the uniqueness of the Christian community. And it draws upon a musical image, like a number like we just heard, this uh, beautiful special music that was played by a talented group of young people. It draws upon a musical image, like a vast number of different notes that we heard from four very different instruments, coming together in harmony to produce one beautiful sound. And while these notes are different, they harmonize in pitch and tone to create a, what, effect, what amounts to a single sound. And it is that understanding of those two Greek words, homo and thumadon, that gives us this one word, this one phrase here that the writer Luke pens as with one accord. And we can see how not just here, but those of you who were at... Uh, the first day of Love and Bread, where uh, Frank had the, the orchestra playing with the choir, and we had various instruments, on the, and under the direction of a conductor, can be blended together to produce this beautiful sound. I'm sure that we've read this verse often as we get into what we typically read at the, at the Feast of Pentecost, this Acts chapter 2, especially in, t- in no- terms of noting the unity of the brethren, as was mentioned in the opening prayer. But have you ever asked yourself how? How could a group of completely d- 
different misfits from various walks of life who had just spent the previous few years falling around this very strange Nazarene from the house of Joseph the carpenter could now be described as being of one accord. A word associated with the harmonizing sounds of beautiful music. A couple of weeks back, I wasn't here, but I understand that Pastor Ramakan spoke on the meaning of the Feast of Weeks. Not just Pentecost, not just the Feast of Pentecost specifically, but the entire seven-week, 50-day process from Unleavened Bread to Pentecost. And in that message, he spoke on the fact that these seven weeks, in fact, are in fact part of this very meaningful festival. And it's not just a passing of time from the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Feast of Pentecost, but it itself is a festival of sorts and a meaningful period of time. Today, what I would like to do, on the back of what he spoke about, is to walk you through the events of these weeks during AD 31 to show you that Christ systematically walked many people through very specific events for the sole purpose of bringing them to the point of being in one accord by the time the Feast of Weeks had passed and Pentecost had fully come. They were, what we'll see is, they were of one accord because of all that they had went through during this Feast of Weeks, during these previous seven weeks. We recall their history, the, the men who would become 11 of the 12 apostles, and what a, a miscast group of what amounts to misfits, some fishermen, a, a tax collector, others that were all of a sudden brought together and were fought, had followed Christ around for his time here on this earth. Christ was, in fact, laying the foundation for the upcoming new creation, the New Testament church, and the successful feast that we read about in chapter 2, which we, which we read about on the Feast of Pentecost, could only have come about because of the preparation of those who would be the foundational members 50 days later. What, we'll do, what we're going to do is we're going to look at four areas of preparation that occurred. The people, the leadership, the message, and the mission. And if we have some time, we'll take a quick look back at the Old Testament account of the Exodus, and during the exact same time frame, see that there were attempts, there were attempts with a very stubborn group of people to accomplish these very same tasks. Because when God has a job for people to do, he is very, very thorough in his preparation. If we have the ears to hear and the heart to receive. So let's get started with the first area of focus of the preparation of the church. And that is the culture and the people. The culture and the people. So let's turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. As God prepared a people for their first Feast of Pentecost. Luke chapter 24. Starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb preparing the spices which they had prepared. Now obviously, there was no, as we know, there were no chapter breaks. So that they is... If you look back just a couple of verses to chapter 55, or verse 55 of Luke 23, where it says, And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, 
and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb preparing, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So, from the, Christ clearly here showed himself first. Well, he hadn't showed himself yet, but the first people to find out about his resurrection was the group of women who had stayed close by his side while he was being crucified and had taken care of of his body and all of his the after effects and were about to prepare his body for burial. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women as well. Let's follow the account up to John chapter 20. Turn to John chapter 20 as we continue the account. Because they have discovered that the Christ has risen. We won't read the first ten verses of John 20 because they, in effect, provide some of the same details that we just read. But Mary, verse 11, stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping, and whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away... Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not yet ascended to my father. But I go to, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So Luke tells us similar accounts of how they had discovered the tomb empty. And then John fills in some of the details here that he had revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene and then instructed Mary Magdalene to tell her to go tell the apostles. Why could he have done this? We can only speculate, but I believe for a couple of reasons. These women were the ones that who had, were with him throughout the crucifixion, had looked after him after his burial. They didn't leave the details to the family. And his disciples, remember, had fled. Most of them had fled 
John had hung around to look after Christ's mother. Peter was off, scared in the, in the distance. And remember that account of Luke where Christ had caught his eye. This was the type of dedicated followers around which Christ could build a church. And he revealed himself to these women first. The second reason, as he was about to start, he was, he was preparing to start his New Testament church, was that the message was clear. To, quote, to borrow from the vernacular, this wasn't your daddy's old school Judaism anymore. This was a new way of life, a new covenant with anyone who would faithfully choose to follow. Back to Luke chapter 24. We see that the same holds true. An interesting... We won't take too much time to... We won't go through this in too much detail to save time. But verses 13 to 32 talk about these two gentlemen who were on the road to Emmaus who were saddened by the fact that the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's to be king of the Jews, had been crucified and had died. And they didn't know what would happen next. And we know the story about how Christ himself had walked them through this, had appeared to them, and had captured their hearts, revealed to him who he actually was, and changed their hearts to where they were now excited to run back into Jerusalem and share this news with everyone. Again, a group of dedicated men amongst the group of early believers. So long before we come to the, the Feast of Pentecost, they're starting to build up, as we see, this group of believers apart from, or in addition to, the apostles. Acts chapter 1, we're going to be flipping back through much of the the Gospels in the book of Acts, the start of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. We'll revisit this portion of Scripture later, but there's some something interesting to note. Verse 12, Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. This is much later in the 50-day process. Then they, referring to the apostles, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, and a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, again, before the Feast of Pentecost, they had cordoned themselves up in this upper room in prayer, and, and it calls it supplication, but in a, this unifying bit of, of prayer time. And including amongst the disciples in this retreat were all the women who had attended to him, plus his mo- Christ's mother and his brothers. And recall what we read, what we didn't read, but what is told of us, where there was a time where his, his mother and brothers, for sure, were not necessarily followers and believers of, of, of Christ's way. But we see their change in their mindset as they come to be coming part of this inner circle. 
praying together and developing the bond of unity that would soon be required. So to ensure the message was clear, Christ himself opened the way for all people to be a part of this new way. And again, interesting to note that it was not just the 11 apostles that were left, but his mother, his brothers, and the women who had attended to him. So we see this slight change in culture as he develops these people to be prepared for the Feast of Pentecost. Let's move on to the second category, that of leadership. And while it's clear from the start that these dedicated people, including many women, would be the heart of the foundational group, Christ knew that leadership was required to advance the mission and message that we will get to soon. So he spent part of these weeks rebuilding the shattered confidence of the friends who would become the apostles. Biblical history is clear. God's people always need dedicated, faithful leaders to care for and protect the flock. We see that from the time of the Exodus, clear on through the Judges period, through the period of the Kings, through the period of the Prophets, and on into what we deem the New Testament church. So as fundamental to the cause as this this, this group of people that were starting to develop, included amongst that was the requirement for leadership to care for and protect the flock. In Christ, we know the shattered confidence of these men who had thought that their kingly, their, their physical king was killed by the Romans. They, were, they had looked up to this, and this man, Jesus, and they thought that he was going to be their physical king and get them out from underneath Roman rule. And when he was crucified, they all went back fishing. But Christ would see to it that their confidence was repaired. Turn with me to John chapter 20. John 20. Verse 19. Here we note that immediately after appearing to the various women and the men on the road to Emmaus, he specifically met with those who would become his apostles. So we read, we've already read uh, chapter 20, verses 11 to 18, where he appeared to Mary, and Mary was sent back into Jerusalem to tell the apostles. Verse 19, then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He showed them proof that it was him, and they were happy, filled with joy, that their friend was back. So Jesus said to them, Peace Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So he appeared to ten of the eleven apostles. Thomas will see uh, later that Thomas was absent at this particular occasion. But he specifically met with those who would become his apostles, and he himself 
gave them his Holy Spirit. He breathed it upon them, it says. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Different, a different way than most of us receive the Holy Spirit, but here there was something special about this group of, of leaders that would become the, the foundational pillars of the New Testament church. And he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at the various times he proved himself to these men. Remember, they were a broken group of men, having dedicated the previous years to following this man that they thought would be the physical king, who would rid them of these overpowering Romans, this vicious Roman rule, and he was now dead, and they had, and along with killing their, their leader, or their, their, the savior, they had killed their dreams. And now he had presented himself to them here, but he would continue to do so. Drop, continuing on here, drop down to verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. That's obviously referring back to a section of scripture we didn't read, which is verses 24 through 25, when Thomas, who was not with them when he came, and the others has told him, we have seen the Christ, we've seen the Lord, and he adamantly said, unless I, unless I see, unless I see the hand, the, his hands with the nail prints, the print of the nails, I'm, I'm just not going to believe. So, Christ showed him that very thing, eight days later. He let him wait for eight days. It's interesting that he let him wait around for eight days. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And Thomas, he takes a bit of a hard rap here for being doubting Thomas, the one who didn't believe. But sometimes some of us just take a little extra time. He was not any less human or any more human than we are. And here... Christ saw value in Thomas, and Thomas just needed to see, and Christ showed it. And we can see his faith in verse 28 where he said, My Lord and my God. Some people just need a little extra. Some people need a little extra proof, a little extra coaxing. Dropping down to chapter 21, we won't take time to read verses 1 to 14, Except to note that amongst this story of they had all gone fishing, we see verse 1, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself to Simon Peter, to Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples who were together. And Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. It's unclear whether he had given up or whether he was no longer wanted to be part of this or whether he was still in the midst of struggling with his faith and because and, we know that, that as uh, dynamic as Peter was he denied Christ three times he was the first one there to protect him when he chopped the ear off and then we recall that he denied him three times and Christ caught a glimpse of him as you recall in Luke as we said before verse 4 when the morning had now come Jesus stood on the shore and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus 
And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the nut on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And when they did that, Peter instantaneously said, It's the Lord. Peter's faith was becoming rock solid. The more Christ had appeared to him, it was becoming more solidified. Dropping down to verse 15 is the interesting part of the story. We've read this time and time again, but it bears repeating in this, in this case here. Because recall Peter, as we just talked about, denied him three times, had sort of, uh, in a scared way, watched from a distance, but wasn't quite there like John was during the crucifixion. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. And we know that the process repeats three times. And it almost just looks like the fact that he denied him three times, so he's going to ask him three times. But there's a connection here, and we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating here. And that is the Greek word love that is used here. Because Christ, obviously trying to raise up his apostles and bring, edify them and build them up, says to them, do you agape me? Do you love me with the love of, of God? The, 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 the type of love that makes God who he is. The type of, that it basically defines the mind of Christ that we've been studying about in the last number of weeks. But Peter answered him differently. It says like it's yes, but what Peter actually says is, no, I don't agape you. I affiliate you. By saying, yes, Lord, I love you, you know that I love you. He actually, the Greek is, I affiliate you. Do you love me with the love of God? Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. So Christ says again, do you love me with the love of God? Peter wasn't there yet. So Peter says, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. I affiliate you. And here's where Christ, in his need to, to build his leadership, it wasn't important to get Peter to say agape yet. He came down, and the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you filia me? To which Peter could connect and say, yes, Lord, I filia you. And there's a connection. Much like when we parent, and it, it get, as a frustrating times that it gets, we want our children to say things our way, and we'll hammer, 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 until we get them to just say what it is we want them to say. When really, you know what, sometimes they're just 11 and 12. And if we just let them be 11 and 12, they'll figure out the difference, maybe when they're 17 and 18. This was the same type of mindset here. It wasn't, Christ wasn't beating Peter up here enough to make him say agape. The important thing was the connection because he needed Peter on his team. He needed Peter as one of the key pillars here. And Christ said, you know what? Do you affiliate me? Yes, Lord, I affiliate you. Now we can get on with getting on. Now we have a connection. We can, we can move on. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. As he continues to build the leadership of his group of apostles. We see verse 15 through 26. We won't take time to read that verbatim. But it is in this instance 
where they choose to replace Judas as part of the twelve. And they take lots, they cast, they, they cast lots between these two men, one called Barsabbas, Justice, Barsabbas, or Barsabbas Justice, and one named Matthias. And the casting of lots, which was a, one of the ways that God, uh, throughout his, his uh, scriptures, chose to reveal his will, and that was through the casting of lots. The lot fell upon Matthias, and the twelve were built back up to a group of twelve to replace Judas. Now, there were a couple of reasons which we will get to later through the, the other two facets of what we're going to talk about, the message and the mission, as to why it was important for them to replace Judas, other than the obvious fact of fulfilling prophecy, as it is quoted here from the book of Psalms. It was important to fulfill, fulfill this prophecy, let another take his office. But there were a couple of reasons that we'll get to as we proceed through the message. So we see here, the group of followers are starting to expand. We see later that the, it was numbered to approximately 120 through the course of these seven weeks. With the now solidifying group of leadership that Christ was continuing to show himself to, continuing to prove himself to, that I'm really here, this is really me, I'm not the physical king that died on that stake, but I'm your spiritual king who is here to do something for the world. And it is this group of leadership that he was starting to build. We now get to the message. He prepares the message so that the leadership and the people are going to be tasked with something, which we'll get to. But before they're tasked with it, they need to understand what they're going to be doing. What is this message? Because remember, they were all of one accord. So they all had to understand what this message was. So we, let's go back to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. chapter 24, we'll pick it up. We'll just hit bits and parts here to save time. Verse 25, Luke chapter 24, this is cutting into the context of the story of appearing to those two men on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend. Verse 25 says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So he brings in what was known then as Scripture, the Old Testament prophets, to indicate that that is still valid. O slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? It was all mentioned back then. There should be a, been no surprise that you're looking for a physical king. Had you read the scriptures, all these scriptures that you know should have pointed to this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to, the script, to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's showing that this coming of the Messiah was something that was written throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament. So he's starting to lay the foundation for this message here with these two gentlemen. Dropping down to verse 33. Well, verse 32, they said to one another after Christ had uh, vanished before them, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then dropping down to verse 44, then he said to them, to the disciples, the apostles, these are the words which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So no longer could he let them continue to think that he was a physical king who had succumbed to the powers of the Romans. He had to show them that what they had known for years was really pointing to this future time that was now about to take a new step. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So we're starting to see a theme here, that this death and risen Christ is not just some new phenomenon, but was something that was part of the entire Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, part of that entire package. And part of that message is repentance and remission of sins. And that this is to be preached to all nations. Back to John chapter 20. Continuing on as he prepares these chosen people and the chosen leadership with a, a solidified, coherent message. John chapter 20. We see all of these sightings to Mary, to the various women, to the disciples, ten of the disciples, then to eleven of the disciples. Verse 30 tells us why. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we're, again, part of this part of the message that has become so near and dear to our hearts, this what we call our calling, he was taking the time systematically over these 50 days to solidify this message. Repentance, remission of sins, this has been a lifelong, a, a, a historical long, from the beginning of creation, effort that we see throughout scriptures, and that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we may have life, Here's something new. We may have life in his name. He has life, and it is the fact that he has risen. His death relieves us of the debt of our sins, but his life gives us hope. His life gives us hope that there is something beyond this life to attain. Acts chapter 1, it's over a page. Acts chapter 1. Recall that the writer of Acts is the, the physician Luke, a very well-educated man of, of, of the Greek language. The former account I made, he said, he starts, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. He's talking about his, the Gospel of Luke to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke tells us what we've just read, that all of these sightings 
are so that there is infallible proof, infallible proof that he has risen and that all of the things he had talked about are coming true. Dropping down to verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying again, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were starting the, the process of learning back and forth. We see that as we just looked in John, parts of Luke. But they were so eager for this to happen, they were still, are, is it now? Because he said he was coming soon. So it was, are you, is, is, it, is it now the time? Are you now at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Quit worrying about when I am coming, and simply understand the message I need you to preach, the message of repentance, forgiveness of sins, the kingdom of God, all of these molded into one coherent message, and go out and tell people about it. Again, developing this one solid, coherent message that allowed him later to say they appeared in one place and in one accord. Dropping out of verse 21, we get to reason number one for the choosing of of Matthias. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Part of the reason he continued to show himself to the eleven, and then they chose one who had seen him. He had seen him before. He would have been part of the group that would have known of this. It would have been a follower of Christ before his death, so that they could now see, say that there are twelve of these pillars that are witnesses to his life after he was resurrected. So they could become a witness for this resurrection. Why was that important? Let's go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We know today that in Christianity in our our walk of life, the way there are many that are working against us to try and prove that it is not right, that we serve a God, a prophet, that is no better than any of the other prophets of any of the other religions. But here, back in Matthew 28, we see an interesting piece of information. Verse 11, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Until at least the very time that Matthew wrote his gospel account, there were still talk that the disciples had stolen his body away. So not only were they just trying to... to represent Christ and be ambassadors for him, but they were working against people who knowingly told lies and were paid to tell lies. And this was a rumor that had started and had continued throughout the course of, of, of history here at that time. The message was clear. He died so that the sins of the people could be forgiven. He was raised from the dead 
because there's hope for life after death. There's hope for a glorious kingdom awaiting us, and it is this hope that, when realized, gives this life meaning and purpose. And he developed, over the course of these 50 days, on a bashed solidification of this message. The people knew what this message was. They were solidified in it. They could take this out. And we see later when we read in chapter 2 how powerful they were once they got this message. Once this message became a part of who they were, it changed them. Peter was no longer the stand back. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to go hide in the bushes. He was ready to be a servant of God. The culture had clearly been set. There were now 120. You can check Acts 1 verse 15 for that. We'll be there at some point over the next few minutes anyways. The leaders have been set with a renewed sense of dedication. Even doubting Thomas knew that this was God. My Lord and my God, he said. The message had been clearly communicated to the entire foundational group. And with that, we finally come to the mission. We know Scripture tells us, the Hebrew Scriptures tell us, without vision, the people perish, or the people cast off restraint. Without this vision, there's nothing much to live for. Let's go fishing, as Peter said. All that we have discussed so far, the people, the culture, the leadership, and the message, leads us to this one critical point, and that is the mission. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I know this is well before Christ's death, but there's a little tidbit of information that tells us reason number two for the choosing of Matthias. Mark chapter 6. Verse 7 says, He called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, and but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, In whatever place you enter house, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. And surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. Two by two. They had that instruction before, so it was natural amongst them to, especially in light of the, 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 the psalm that said he shall be replaced, that they set themselves up to be sent two by two. So not only was Matthias chosen because he was with somebody who had witnessed the resurrection of Christ, but he evened things out so that when there was a mission to be sent, they could follow this instruction here where they were previously sent out two by two. They could do the same. Matthew 28. We read this time and time again. We quote it as part of the baptismal ceremony. As part of it. But with all of that we've just talked about over the last 45 minutes, it brings a much deeper sense of meaning to this often quoted passage. And Jesus came, to, came and spoke to them in verse 18, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. 
So again, we're starting to see this, this mission that they're being sent. It was no longer just to stay, but at some point they were going to be sent. Luke chapter 24. We read this earlier, but let's look at it again. Verse 44 of Luke 24. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And again, we see how the mission is being told several times here, so that this was not just Matthew's thoughts, or perhaps only Matthew heard about it, but Matthew's written it down, Luke has written it down, and we see at various points. Back to John 21. We read the story of Peter connecting with Christ when he was asked three different times if he loved him, and he finally settled on the connection with the, the do you filia me? But each time Peter was given a separate, not separate to Peter, but an additional part to the, the mission, and that was to feed my sheep. So not only to go out and baptize nations and to preach the repentance and preach the remission of sins, but once people believed they now needed to be fed. So part of the mission was to feed the sheep, feed the called out ones. And he was told three times that it was crystal, crystal, crystal clear. Then part of the, the, the mission that they were given. Peter received it here, but it was, a, it was a message for all. Verse 18. Most assuredly I say to you, John 21, verse 18, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. By what death he would glorify God. We can actually glorify God in death. And when he spoke, he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, again, part of the growth process of Peter, saw the disciple John, standing to the side who Jesus loved, who had also leaned on his breath to the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? John, for some reason, was humble enough. He hated mentioning his own name, so he had to describe himself in various ways. Peter said, Lord, what about him? Is he going to have to go through the same pain I'm going to have to go through? And Christ said to him, If I will that he will remain till I come, what does that matter to you? What does it matter to you? If all of us here will be part of the, the second group of people that will our bodies will drop off and we will rise in the air. But you, Larry, need to die a horrible death. What does it matter that the rest of us don't get there? We'll see you. That was his message here to Peter. What does it matter? You follow me. He has to follow me. He has to follow me. You have to follow me, he says to Peter. Then saying this, he went out amongst the brethren that the disciple would not die. And of course, people start to talk and rumors go that John's not going to die. And that's a separate part of the story. Do the work that I have given you, he says to Peter. 
as he says to all of, to all of us. Now, we don't have time to delve deeply into the Old Testament, but here are a few quick highlights for your own study to show that the intent to do the same to Israel was the same as we see here. When we read the account in Exodus, we see that millions of people were called out from a society they had spent generations becoming a part of. Called out. Various levels of leadership started to develop. There was Moses, then there was Aaron, and then Moses' father-in-law instructed him that it would be wise to set up the 70 elders to help him in decision-making. So there were various levels of leadership that had started to develop. The message was clear from the start that they were to be a light to the world. They were to be this country, this people, that the world could look to as a, a banner of what doing things God's way would do for them and how God's way works. And the mission was clear. There was a promised land for them to enter. So as much as the stubbornness of the people prevented them from attaining the success that was there to be had, in the first generation, unlike as we talked about to the young people in the Bible study, that it actually happened in the second generation, 40 years later, the preparation of the people for, God's, for a mission from God remains the same. The people, the leadership, the message, and the mission. So that they could, had it all worked together, they could have been one accord going into the promised land. And we see that it worked 40 years later with the second generation. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 2. With bearing all of this in mind. And let's read, ahead of Pentecost, bearing all of this in mind, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone had heard them speak in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Dropping down, verse 14, But Peter, now Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third day, third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Continuing down, verse 37. Now then when they heard all of these things, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what do we do? And Peter said, 
the same message that he was taught by Jesus the Christ. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Notice what they said. He said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they were all there. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And what did they do next? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 3,000 people added to a group that could support them in such a way. This couldn't have happened without the intense preparation of the Feast of Weeks. It couldn't have happened. Solidifying the people, the leadership, the message, and the mission so that they could all be with one accord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's finish there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Paul said, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, one accord, remember. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers... And you are God's field. You are God's building, his temple. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. There is work to be done for God. But it is extremely important how we build on the foundation that was set by Jesus Christ and his apostles. It is a task that we must not take lightly. I feel blessed that God has called us together into this area to do something different together. To build upon the sure foundation set by Christ and his apostles so many years ago. We have a foundational group of people from all walks of life. Good-hearted leaders. We were an excellent start to the men's club last week. A clearly defined message. And we have received our marching orders from our leader, Jesus Christ. All of this developing before our eyes during this Feast of Weeks. I look forward to doing this together with each of you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. 
We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.